0: The Paul Leslie Hour. Helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. I'm very honored to be presenting this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. It's with Ralph McDonald. It goes back to 2006, I believe. And it was recorded in a hotel room. The Ritz-Carlton in Buckhead, Atlanta, Georgia and i was using a little cassette recorder and i'm going to tell you a little bit about this man ralph mcdonald he's a grammy award winning percussionist songwriter a record producer he was a member of jimmy buffett's coral reefer band for quite some time i actually considered him a friend he was one of the most talented songwriters this world has known for example He co-wrote Just the Two of Us. That's one of those songs, as soon as you mention it to somebody, they start singing it back to you. That is the sign that a songwriter has been successful. He also wrote Where is the Love, Mr. Magic. You could go on and on. Ralph was actually the son of a musician. There was a Calypsonian named Macbeth the Great, And Ralph was his son, and at a very young age, I believe he was 17, he joined Harry Belafonte's band, as you're going to soon hear in the interview. His path crossed with quite a number of people. As a conga player and a percussionist, he was on some albums from some very big artists. Frank Sinatra, he was on a Frank Sinatra album, Billy Joel, Aretha Franklin, Roberta Flack, Paul Simon, he was on the Graceland album. I mean, you name it. Lots and lots of great artists, and lots of great artists knew him, and they loved him, because he was a lovely man. Very sweet. I believe that Ralph McDonald is one of those artists, his music will live on, and through his music, so will Ralph. And that's why I'm presenting this interview. In my small way, I'd like to Keep the memory of Ralph McDonald alive A lot of people have asked me When I could dig up this Interview and pull it out I hope you enjoy And if you do enjoy it Please share it with someone who you think Would like it
1: The one and only Mr. Ralph McDonald I've waited a long time to speak with Mr. McDonald And he's waited a while for me Uh, So I'd like to thank you For taking the time to speak with me today Mr. McDonald
2: not a problem, Paul. It's
1: my pleasure. My first question is, you, uh, your parents came from Trinidad, but you grew up in Harlem. Yeah. So tell me, what was life growing up like, uh, growing up in Harlem?
2: Well, my parents is from the Caribbean, but I was born in New York City in Harlem, and you know, it's like any other uh, neighborhood. You know, when you are living in a place, uh, you don't realize. Uh, I never thought of it as a ghetto in other words, but uh, not until I got out of there and you look back and you realize what what a ghetto is. And, you know, but again, we had um, uh, the extended family, you know, I had my grandma, my grandpa, aunts and uncles, and lots of friends, so we had a real neighborhood, almost like a village, you know, and it was really fun growing up in, her, for me anyway. You know, my dad was this popular musician with a 12-piece orchestra, so, I grew up in the shadows of that, so it was really cool for me.
1: And your father was Macbeth the Great. So tell us a little bit about uh, some of his history.
2: Well, my dad was one of 13 children. Uh, His father was a Nigerian African, and his mother was a Caribbean. And they had 13 children, and they came to the States probably back in in the teens or the 20s or something uh, for a better way. And my grandma and grandpa came here first and one by one they sent for all 13 well they sent for 12 children one was born in this country my uncle Boogs, the youngest uh, uncle who actually taught me how to play he was really the best percussionist in the business my dad had this 12-piece orchestra and, and you know he had a regular day job and he used to do these gigs on friday and saturday nights and weddings and parties on sundays and we used to play for a lot of the Caribbean uh, social clubs and at the different ballrooms of Harlem and Brooklyn and Queens. So it was really fun. Um, growing up under my dad, I got to listen to a lot of traditional Calypso music, got to meet a lot of famous Calypsonians like the Lord Melody, who sang songs like Mama Look a Boo Boo, which was very made popular by Harry Belfani. Uh, got to meet people like the Mighty Sparrow, Uh, Lord Invader, who wrote a song called um, Rum and Coca-Cola that the Andrews sisters made popular. So, you know, my life growing up in Harlem was really cool. And then just growing up as a kid, you know, I played all the things like kids play in neighborhoods, basketball, baseball, you know, touch football, stuff like that, stickball. So it was really fun. But um, my dad was a big influence on my life because, because he was my dad. I used to be the roadie and carried the the uh music stands and stuff into the ballrooms you know in those days they took their own sound system speakers microphones so you know i've started just helping my dad out and going around to different places uh with him and he took me everywhere with him so i used to just sometime fall asleep uh on the drums <laughs> he used to put me up to play uh since i was small and you know it was just a hobby most of the uh the, the uncles in my family played the drums, and I had about eight of them.
1: And what kind of music did you listen to when you were growing up? All kinds. Of,
2: all kinds of music. Because of the, the Caribbean thing, I I listened to Calypso. I listened to lots and lots of jazz, lots and lots of Latin music, um, lots and lots of R&B music, you know. uh, In those days, you just... You know, it wasn't no special kind, you know, rock and roll hadn't come in yet. And we just used to listen to all kinds of music, you know, because our neighborhood of Harlem was basically black and, and, and Latino. So we, and my, my dad used to always play at these affairs and it'd be, sometimes it'd be two bands and it'd be either Tito Puente or Machito or Tito Rodriguez or Senor Rodriguez or, or Steel Band. So I got to be around music an awfully lot when I was young. We listened to everything. It didn't matter. A lot of jazz. There was a radio station we used to listen to in those days. called Symphony Sid up in New York. And he played everything from jazz to Latin. So we had a good uh, diet of music in my house. Of course, with the traditional American music like James Brown and people like that.
1: Every conga player I've interviewed, from uh, Count Butu to... Um, Oh, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember his name now. But everyone, it seems, they always mention you. I always say, it's Ralph McDonald." is always like one of their, the reasons they either got into uh, Latin percussion and congas, or um, oh, Leon Mobley, that was the other guy. They all mention you. They all say, you know, that was my main influence. Uh, and, you know, Ralph played on everything. <laughs> and you look at your discography, you played with everyone so how does it feel kind of to be known as the
2: legendary ralph mcdonald well it feels good you know i've been i've been doing this now for let's see about 44 years you know i started in 1961 with harry Belafonte. i was just 17 years old 16 17 and and it just uh mushroomed from there and uh I used to work with Harry Belafonte just like I'm doing with Jimmy Buffett here, traveling around the world playing music. And then I got into the record date recording scene in New York. And once you get into that, where well, I was considered the number one percussionist in New York, so anybody that would record an album in New York and they have percussion on their record, I was the number one call. So it sort of worked out. And it's, it's fun. I, I, I love all kinds of music. And I think for for younger people who want to get into music don't don't limit yourself to one kind of music you know music is our, is an international language you know, and this whole world and and where we at and where we're going it's about communicating communication and you know music is a great way to to communicate with people from foreign lands and people who speak different languages or you know, I go around the world, Japan, I go to Germany, they may not speak English, but they enjoy the music. And, you know, music, again, is the only international language we have. So I don't think you should really study so much or, or you, you could have your favorite. But, you know, music is music. If you call yourself a musician, you should be able to go anywhere in the world and play with a a band and make some music if that's your craft. And then I... um. I pride myself in doing that, you know, played a lot of music in Africa, played a lot of music in Germany, played play with this Greek girl, Nana Muscuri, who was fantastic. I could tell you when uh, Dave Brubeck did Take Five, a song called Take Five, everybody went crazy, wow, he's playing in five. Well, Greek music is 19-8, eight, eight. Eight is so much further than 1, 2, 3, 4, <laughs> or even Take Five, so, you know. There's all kinds of rhythms and music in the world that you, when you think you're so good, you go to these places and you see somebody just play some stuff, it'll just dazzle your mind, you know? I remember listening to some Indian musicians in that Robbie Shankar band playing Indian t rhythms with you have 32 beats, 24 beats to the bar. It's amazing, you know? So it's just fun just exploring all kinds of music and especially working with Harry Bolafani. He was an international star. So you know he played uh Mexican music, Jewish music, you know uh, german music, canadian music. we 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 got into a lot of ethnic music, and in those days, of course, you know, it was thirty three three dollars an album. We used to have a budget to go buy ethnic music and listen to it and try to get into the rhythms of those places so that was my start, and it just was uh became fun for me, and I became the number one percussionist, so everybody from James Brown to Frank Sinatra when they come to New York to record, I would get the first call.
1: And so tell us about uh, Bill Salter and William Eaton.
2: Well, those are my two partners. We uh, all started out together. We all worked for Harry Belafonte. Uh, William Salter was the bass player, and William Eaton was the conductor, and I was the percussionist. And we used to spend a lot of time in Las Vegas in those days. And Las Vegas in the 60s is nothing like the Vegas you see today. (laughs) There was only about six hotels on one side of the street on the strip and maybe four hotels on the other side, and that was it. It was a real desert town. And uh, we don't gamble, and we didn't drink in those days. So, you know, when we went to Vegas and spent a month in Vegas or a month in Tahoe, or Reno, Nevada, we we it was lots spent two months between those places. And without drinking or gambling, it's pretty boring. So we all started writing songs and getting together and stuff like that. And that's how we started out together uh, from Harry Bolognese. Matter of fact, a lot of songs, the early songs that we had written was all in Harry Bolognese company. And when we left in 69, we asked back for our songs, and they gave it back to them. And we started our own company, which is Antigia Music. And uh, that's how it started. And we've had 1000000s million, millions. We've had at least 10, 15 songs to go on to sell million copies. And some even went as high as 45 million copies. Uh, song Calypso Breakdown in a movie called Saturday Night Fever, soundtrack album. And of course, we've had hits like Grover Washington, Mr. Magic, which sold millions. Roberta Flack, Donnie Hathaway sold millions. Just the two of us very recently sold millions. So we do pretty good.
1: So you all met in the Harry Belafonte
2: band. So how did you get hooked up with Harry? Well, uh, I knew some guys uh, who was... Harry was actually auditioning a steel band in 1961. And I knew the guys who were going to do the audition. I should just help them carry the steel drums to the rehearsal. And one day, one of the guys was late for rehearsal, and Harry just looked over and said, Hey, kid, can you play? And I said, Yeah. They didn't believe it. So he said, Well, come on and play. And when I played. He couldn't believe it, because I used to watch them rehearse, and when I go home at night I, to, I had my own steel drum at home and I used to practice what they were doing during the day on my own. And um, when he saw I could play, he thought that was cool. And then when the guy came back, he told me he'd go, he'd go sit down, and then that was the year he brought Miriam McCabe here from South Africa, and uh, she wanted to do this African boot dance. And she wanted to know, can anybody dance? And nobody could dance. And he looked over at me, the kid, can you dance? Sure. My dad played these dances every weekend. Abby. And I did the dance with her, and they liked it. And so they took me on the road playing steel drums and doing this African boot dance from Merrill And that's how it really started. And one day, in the while we were in the dressing room before the show, uh, the percussionist had left his instruments in our dressing room. And I just started playing it. Everybody came in the room and wanted to know who was that playing. And when they saw it was me, they were all shocked. And they said, I didn't know you could play. Well, I, I've been playing my dad all these years. Nobody never told me I could play. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I know how to play. The, I can probably, I can play better than the guy that they had. But I couldn't say that, you know. I mean, I knew that, but I couldn't say it. So when everybody saw me playing, uh, Harry Belafonte told me, hey, kid, when I do my calypso section in the show, why don't you come out and play the conga drums? And the following year... He had a whole new band and they called me down for an audition, and I took the audition and I got the gig.
1: So, didn't you help produce Roberta Flack's album?
2: Oh, yeah, I used to produce Roberta Flack, yeah, write songs for her. Um, Matter of fact, because my family's from Trinidad and that's the birthplace of Calypso, I used to tell Harry Belafonte, well, I told him one time that his Calypso songs wasn't so hot. (laughs) And he told me, uh, come, come. Come to his house, I went to his house and he showed me a, a whole wall of gold and platinum calypso songs and tell me you, you don't I, I don't know how to do calypso, what about these? You know, And he looked at it, and I said, "No, I don't mean it like that. I just meant you know the authentic stuff. He said, Well, I'm not interested in the authentic stuff, and if you think that this is not good, why don't you write me a song <laughs> since your dad is supposed to be this great singer, so that kind of riled me up, you know and uh, instead of me writing a song, I wrote a whole album for him. <laughs> it's called uh, uh, Calypso Carnival. And uh, it worked out that uh, that was the beginning of the writings for me starting to be a, a composer.
1: And your latest album is called Homegrown and that kind of came from the fact that it was a homegrown effort. And uh, I gotta tell you, it's a it's a smoking hot album. I love it. I listen to it all the time. Uh, you played with a lot of interesting people on there. Like I saw you had Will Lee playing on there. And uh, Will Lee's coming on and doing an interview with us. So tell us how, about how you met Will.
2: Oh, I've been knowing Will for years uh, in, in New York. Will was uh, moved up to New York from Miami. His father was the uh, head music master at the University of Miami. And Will has been around New York, and I met him on lots of record dates. You know, and he's developing to probably one of the premier bass players that's out there now. Playing, of course, he plays on the David Letterman show every night, and he's just a good buddy of mine. Uh, he's, his wife is a French girl, and we're really good friends. We we have a, he has a house in Connecticut. I live in Connecticut, so we spend a lot of time together. We're actually friends uh, above the music, so we go out to dinner every now and then. You know, a couple of months ago, I went to France to spend a week with with Will's wife, parents just to relax out there. It, it's great. You know, he's a good buddy, a great musician, and a good man. He has a wonderful heart.
1: And there's a one the, the first song on there that uh, it, I heard Steve Huntington pronounce it, Scirocco? Shiraco. and that's a desert wind, right? Yeah. So tell us about how you got the idea for that title and that song.
2: Well, we were just messing around trying to come up with something new. And uh, when we came up with that song, we kept listening to it. And, uh, and that was just about the time when they started with this Iraq war. You know. And just the, the mood of the song just reminded us of a, it's going to be a real big storm going on in the Middle East now. And we looked up names in the dictionary and we found Sirocco you know we thought it it fitted appropriately for that particular tune because if i would ever do a video to that song it would be somewhere in the middle east it just reminds us of that so we named it scirocco which is like a a sandstorm in the desert and that's just was about happening and you know three four years later we it's really serious now uh what's going on over there with the war and stuff so you know we try to uh, just do our share and have that feeling of what's happening with the music and what's happening with the world.
1: There's a uh, a part of the book, A Pirate Looks at Fifty, where Jimmy Buffett talks about you a lot, and uh, he talks about your album, The Path. He says it's one of his favorite albums, and uh, he says that you kind of, not so much introduced him, but you were kind of like uh, someone that showed him the pan yard and showed him, you know, this is what Trinidad music is all about so you have any memories from that day
2: oh yeah i I can remember it like yesterday jimmy wanted to do an album uh, jimmy wanted to do a concert with uh... a steel band group band group and he used robert greenwich's group called desperados and he had never been to trinidad and robert went to uh... we, we actually we wrote a song together jimmy and i that he wanted to do with a steel band um, and uh... uh they, the, the, um, Song was called "King of Somewhere Hot," and he also uh, had a song that he wanted to do. and Robert did the arrangement with the band in Trinidad. And when Jimmy came to Trinidad, I picked him up from the airport and, and taking him around, showing him Trinidad, the good places where not to go, what not to do. And you know, the band that they picked was like um, Desperados, and they live in an area that's probably was considered a ghetto type, you know, uh, street people. And um, going up this hill, they live like up the hill. And going up this hill is really spooky and eerie. And he was saying, Man, where we going? I said, We're going to hear Desperados, man. Don't worry about it. And uh, riding up the hill, as you're going up this hill, you're hearing the band very faintly. But the higher you go up the hill, you hear the band more prevalent. And as he's riding up, all of a sudden, he's like, Listen. What are you talking about he says listen listen what they're playing my song <laughs> you know and i'm saying yeah jimmy that's the band we're going to meet they're up the hill that's the sound coming down the hill and it, it was uh it was just a priceless moment he you could see him getting filled with emotion to hear this you he can hear all of a sudden it gets louder and louder the closer we got and uh, he was just taken back by it and it was a great experience and that's what he talks about in that book it probably looks at 40 of going up this hill where very few white people go, and but he was with us, so he was cool. and you know, they're very respectful people. It's just the area, you know. Sure. And um we had a good time, and he never forgets that's one of the high points of his life was going hear, hearing this fifty piece steel band play his music. And uh, of course, he took him to to Florida. We did a couple we did a show in Miami and one in Florida with the steel band. and uh, we started writing songs before that, but we started writing more songs since then. So that's how uh, his experience. He talks about Trinidad is in the spicy kind of life chapter.
1: Yeah, and there's uh, there's another Buffett song that you had a hand in other than Creole, and that's Banana Wind. Uh, and, and tell me about how that song was born.
2: Uh, I didn't have a hand in Banana Wind. I had a hand in Banana Wind album.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. It, okay. Album. I was thinking
2: that. There's a song called Holiday.
1: Holiday. That's it. That's yeah,
2: it. Take a holiday. Well, another you know, song we had in our catalog, and I thought it would be great for Jimmy. And we sent it to Jimmy and he changed some words around and so we became co-writers together and he sang it on uh Banana Wind. That was the song, Take a Holiday. You know, Weather Channel Girl tells you that the weather's gonna be nice, you need to get out and take a holiday. So you know, it worked out real good.
1: And aside from being a musician, when uh, when I was interviewing I think it was Robert Greenwich, Robert Greenwich or Mike Cutley, they said, Oh, you know, Ralph's not a percussion player anymore. He's a photographer. <laughs> you got lots of great photography on your website. So, uh t- tell us how you got the idea to start uh putting up all this kind of like chronicling what's going on in your life.
2: Well, you know, after you've done this for so long, you know, it's nice to have memories. And with the technology being what it is, with the you know, I've had Nikons, this and that and you know, this lens, that lens and I used to take pictures, but you know, you you don't always have everything you need. And when they came out with these digital cameras, um, I just, I just like them. And also it's like uh, uh, getting a little mirror, a little history of your life when the, when the web opened up and you can put the information out there and let people see what you see. A lot of people always want to know, Ralph, what are you doing now? Because I do so many different things. You know, I was a studio owner one time. Well, I was a musician first of all. And then I got to be a songwriter, and I got to be a studio uh, owner, and I got to be a music publisher. So you wear a lot of different hats, and sometimes people want to know what you're doing. And people think, well, uh, I've had people call me up and say, uh, man, you know, I was going to call you to do this, but I figured you didn't want to do it. You wouldn't do it. You know, why would I not want to do it? It's music. Well, I figure you're too busy or you made too much money or you bought it. Hey, I'll make, you know, a lot of jobs I do for nothing because I just want to do them. That's what music is, you know, and other people pay. You know, it's just how it go. And uh, so, you know, you just try to let people, keep people aware of what you're doing, where you're at and what's going on. Because a lot of times people say, I just didn't figure you wanted to do nothing. Well, check my website. I'm working all the time. You know, and having fun, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what it is. And especially working with Jimmy, we go to a lot of exotic places, man. You know, you go to cool places. You know, Fenway Park, uh, Wrigley Field. You know, you go to Hawaii. You go, you do these shows, and you see all these famous people. You know, so I just wanted to just uh, get something to remember it by. You know, so I, when the website came up, I decided, well, let me put pictures up from different tours. You know. And that's what I decided to do, and people seem to enjoy it, you know, because I get a lot of feedback from people who say enjoyed the pictures on the site, you know. So it gets to see everybody and what we do, you know, and a lot of behind the scenes
1: photos, you know. Yeah, Yeah, it's fun to look at. I had a question about uh, what you were mentioned. You know, kind of like this is a way for you to show what it is you're doing. Just out of curiosity, when you're not up on stage playing. what do you like to do when you're out on the road?
2: uh basically you try to write songs, relax myself, go shopping, and go to the mall you know uh along with being on the road and and being in different places, the fun part is is the nice restaurants around different parts of town and different states that you go into the music and food go hand in hand, so it's fun finding the whatever is the great restaurant in, in Atlanta, in Vegas, in California, in New York. It's a nice wide variety, Chicago, of foods. And just like the music, is a variety of stuff. And, you know, we go out and have a good dinner. We, uh, I tend to try to write some songs, you know, get, or get some ideas for something because it's very peaceful. Uh, your phone is not ringing as much, maybe your cell phone, but not, you know. Yeah, the phone doesn't ring. Nobody's around to keep body. You. you can really, you know, have some some quiet time to yourself, where you can think properly. And of course, we stay in all the fabulous hotels, the Ritz-Carltons, the Four Seasons. So, you know, you you're very secured. You're very safe, and it's fun. And I like it. It clears your head up a little bit. You know, sometimes you go swimming, go to the health club and work out. You know, so that's what I that's what I do.
1: So, uh, just out of curiosity, do you do your share of partying?
2: Yeah, I do my share. (laughs) They call me the party animal sometimes. It depends on where we are. You know, it's nice to see friends and people over the years. You've been doing it so long, you've you've become friendly with different people in different uh, parts of the world, different parts of the country, different states. So it's nice to get out and say hello to old friends and and see who's growing old gracefully and who's not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite albums is one you played on, and that's Graceland from Paul Simon. And I just—that's one of my just all-time favorites. I think that that album is just flawless. And uh, what what did you think about that album?
2: Oh, it was fabulous. Um, it's a great album. Great musicians, great idea. Uh, I think Paul Simon let everybody know that when I'm telling you how international music is, it's basically a South African feel, but it's got Paul Simon songs. Yeah. You know so. It shows you how the music just cross all the barriers, and it'll work, and, and uh, you know, those songs and albums is fantastic. Paul Simons is a great writer, and he hit it real right on the money with that. We call that bingo uh, with the group Black Mombasa singing background and his songs and his ideas, his lyrics with that African feel. Uh, it's just fabulous, you know. I, I, I would like to think I had something to do with that because he used to listen to my path all the time. So, you know, it's not far from that.
1: One of the other songs on uh, on Homegrown, I think it's a it's a real sweet song. It's called My Heart. So, tell me, was there any inspiration behind that one?
2: Uh we was just you know, I had this idea of just uh, walking down the street, and uh, you know, you walk down the street a lot, and you happen to see somebody or people or something, and just gives you another vibe of how you feel, you know, and it's just, that it was just one of those songs in my heart, you know, um, nothing real, I mean, um, behind it, nothing, um, like It's just an idea of how you s- go through life, you know, walking down the street and all of a sudden you run into somebody with, and all of a, I don't know, it's just one of those things, uh. There was really, nothing special behind that song, you know, except for I would, you would love to at the end of all the stuff that go down, you would love to be with somebody who can open up your heart because then that's when you can begin to live and enjoy life and, then, you know, for, I, I I like when something good happened to me. To be able to share it with somebody I care about, you know, my wife, my girl, my kids, whoever it may be. But, you know, it's nice to share. You know, when something good happens, I like to share it with with the people that I love and the people around me. So that's what makes it fun. Because for me, I'm cool. I don't need much. But it's nice to see that you can uh, make other people happy and share in your your, um, success. So that's what it means to me
1: so when you're not on the road what do you usually do with your time is it all music
2: no man i swim go to my kids uh, schools and functions and stuff like that um i like sports you know play a lot of basketball swim can't run anymore <laughs> on these knees but i mean you know i i, I like to get away from music um, go to go down the caribbean lay up on the beach be creative, uh, just say hello to some old friends and, you know, take life uh, easy and normal as you come and not take stuff too serious, you know, to enjoy yourself, you know, you you take this stuff serious, that's going to pick up the papers every day, you just be depressed, mm. you know what mm. I mean? So I pick them up, bypass the depressed part, <laughs> the briefings for sports, because you're getting it every day on the news, you know. Yeah. And it's like Jesus can can anybody in this world get along together? It's just you know with all the um, the riches and the and the, and and the goodness in the world, and you just found these people paying all this money for oil. They won't they won't get something else that people could uh, drive their cars on. They won't go into nothing to the future stuff. You know they just keep complaining about the same thing every summer. The gas go up. You know I don't know. This is every summer this happens. You know. Uh, they keep making more cars that's not getting decent miles to the gallon for gas. It's just a joke, you know. And you read things in Brazil where they're running their cars on ethanol or something else that's much cheaper than gas. And, and over here they're talking all this stuff about why you want to dig in Alaska they want to dig in the sea. We've got a lot of other alternatives to deal with. So, you know, I try not to go into that because it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just we, we in 206 this world could be a much better place if everybody do their part, you know, so I try to do my part with my music and make people feel good.
1: Is there anyone in the Coral Reefer band that you feel exceptionally closer to, that you think that that's like your, like one of your better friends? I mean, I know you probably love everyone in the band, but is there anyone in
2: particular that you you feel like is your pal? Sure, Robbie Greenwich, Mac McAnally. I mean, uh, we just good, They're just good music people. I just, I can communicate with them. We can get along. You know, uh, they're really good buddies of mine. Robert Greenwich and Mac McAnally. I mean, I spent a lot of time with Robert outside of Jimmy Buffett. You know, Mac is mostly with Jimmy, but Robert, we do a lot of stuff in the Caribbean together. Like we, we're doing a show in New York, um, Father's Day, uh, Pan Jazz Show at Lincoln Center, together. So I spent a lot of time with Robert. Uh, Whether well, I'm in L.A., I visit him when he's in Connecticut. He visits me. He stays with me. We go down the Caribbean. We don't, we don't live far from each other in Trinidad. So we spent a lot of time together outside of Buffett. And so he's a real good bud of mine.
1: And um, I wanted to ask you uh, one of the questions. Uh, there's a song that Jimmy Buffett did uh, on a Club Trini album. It's, it's a real great song you wrote it with uh, I think Bill Salter and. Then Bill Salter,
2: Billy. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, come on in. Come on
2: in. Yeah. Yeah, that was a song uh, we we wrote and did, and Jimmy decided to sing it on the uh, late late night album for Club Trini, and uh, you know it's always fun to do uh, Caribbean type stuff, you know, with Jimmy and that kind of deal. So it worked out pretty good, you know. Come on in. It's funny you, you like that. Uh? Oh.
1: Yeah. Um, What's something about Jimmy Buffett that you think people would be surprised to know about?
2: Um, Jimmy likes to, you know, Jimmy, I think Jimmy just likes to have fun. You know, we, we were in Mexico before we came here, and we watched him go in the water and swim about a mile and swim back, and we're saying, you believe this guy did this? Because <laughs> we have a show to do that night. Yeah. And we all sitting there saying, yeah, he ain't going to make it back, man. The shark's going to get him. <laughs> I mean, for this guy to be his age and how he keeps his body in shape, I think people will be amazed how he's in shape to, to do these shows, these one-man shows that normally it takes take 15 acts, 11 to 15 acts, to, to put that many people in a venue and to keep them, yeah. you know, uh, to keep them at hand, to do this kind of thing. And this is one guy that does he has to be in great shape because I know after the show I'm, I'm whipped. And, you know, he's, he's the one standing up in front singing and performing. I mean, we're, we're performing also, but, you know, some songs I get a break, he don't get no break. And uh, I think people would be ama- amazed at how good a shape he's really in and for his age. And I think that's the key, because if you talk to anybody uh, older, I can't tell you how many times people used to tell me, uh, older people uh, used to say, uh, I wish I had my health, you know, and obviously he got his health, and that's very important, because he goes, he he parties just like we do, and seven o'clock in the morning you go downstairs, he's down, they having breakfast, doing business. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's, I think it's his shape that he keeps himself in. It'd be people would be amazed and they think, oh, this is this beach guy, party guy. He does that, but he also takes you can catch him in a health club six o'clock any morning. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what's important these days. Because people think, oh, the Colorado band just a bunch of party people. Yeah, we do. But you get up at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, you catch your whole band in the health club working out. Because mm. uh, we want to live, you know. We want to be healthy as possible. And, you know, the further time goes on, the more educated you get about things you do, and You know, musicians do a lot of drinking, you know, a lot of stuff. <laughs> so you try to keep your body in shape. And, you know, people got kids in college now, so you, you know, you... You have to relinquish your titles to the younger ones because they're the ones coming up, having fun, and, you know, you got to be a good role model to your children, for your children, you know.
1: What do you think the role of music is? What do you think music is supposed to do?
2: Make people feel good. Make people feel good. I think once you make people feel good, people tend to think in a positive turn, and that's cool because there's too much negativity in the world today. It's too much to, you can pick up a paper, a magazine, anything, and just get negative. And I would hope music relaxes people, calms them down, and make them think of something else positive.
1: This program goes out all over the world. So what my question to you is, what would you, Ralph McDonald, like to say to the world?
2: Just love each other. Make love, not war. Listen, I remember... You know, people say, "Uh, oh, were you were you, a, were you a hippie?" Well, I may have been a love child, but I, you know, I, I'm a mu. i I like music, and I think if people make music, and then communicate through music, the world would be a much better place. And um, just try to do your best. If everybody do their best, we'll have a great world to live in. You know, but when people get jealous and envious and of what you got or what you think I got, and you know, so many different cultures in the world, so many different religions in the world, everybody, my God, my, this is my God, this is my God, God is on my side. Come on, there's only one God. You can call him Allah, you can call him God, you can call him Jesus, you can call him whatever your high power is, it's just, you know, it's, it's there for everybody. And if we, we, we're all part of the human race, you know, you may be white or black, what's the difference? We're human. And I think if everybody think and look at each other as equals as opposed to um, inferior things, you know, we'd have a better world. And I just try to do my part in making a better world. It's easier to smile than to frown. So I try to smile. And I try to make people smile because when I see people smiling, it makes me feel good. I don't like negativity. And it's all through our lifestyle, our lives everywhere. It's just I can remember some time going, being in a place where I don't even speak the language and you hear some music and you say, man, that's nice and soothing.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, and it makes you feel better. It puts you in a different frame of mind and and hopefully music will give you that escape to just get away for a minute and listen. I remember when I was younger, listening to a Marvin Gaye song called What's Going On. You know, and I think if people would listen to music more, it's a message in there. There's something in there that... That's people got things to say. People are saying some very important things. When I mean, Marvin Gaye sang, "At what's going on?" You know, it's like, "Mother, mother, mother." You know, why are so many people dying? You know, and it's you know, love's not the. I mean, war's not the answer. You know, uh, it's just if they just listen to the music, but people just pass it off. Pass it off as something that's just like, oh, they'd rather hear a politician give you a line. Uh, mm sound bite you know and you know it's all about the people because that's in the end that's where it boils down to the people and hopefully music will give you some relaxation i know it does it for me it makes me feel good i watched my father when i was small his orchestra play in a, in a fair with seven eight hundred people and everybody's dancing and smiling and having fun and that's the mood the vibe that i like you know, I don't like no rise, people fighting and all this foolishness, you know. We, we got to get beyond it, you know, because we're all part of the human race and we're all put here together to survive. And there's different cultures, different religions, just, just people afraid when they don't know something. And hopefully music can bring it together, you know. At least that's my feeling. That's what it does for me. And hopefully it'll spread to others and make this world a better place for us all. And that's all I want to do is make some music for people who just want to hear some nice music and relax. That's it. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Well, thank you, Paul. And I would like to say to all my fans and all all the fans of the radio station, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, we, we love when we can get feedback from people. And if you can, check out all the websites and see what's going on and see when we'll be in your town and come and say hello.
1: You can check out R- Ralph's website at www.ralphmacdonald.com. That's M-A-C, ralphmcdonald.com. I have one more question. Do real men need Viagra?
2: Not at all. You saw my t-shirt, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music, composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit ThePaulLeslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good.